Welcome to The Workplace, where we're hot on the trail of what makes great workplace cultures tick and what we can all do to make the ones we work in better. I'm Andrew Scarcella. This episode, we'll be talking with Kristen McDonald and Gareth Walley about their role guiding the latest evolution of Coca-Cola's workplace culture. Join us after the interview for Tangible Takeaways, where we'll talk about the ideas and actions we can take with us and implement in our own workplace cultures. Both Christian and Gareth come to us from Coca-Cola's HR department, where they're the Director of Employee Experience Design and Director of Global Total Rewards Transformation, respectively. Together, they're leading Coke's company culture into the future, crafting a modern mission values, and behaviors to guide the 20,000-plus employees all over the world. Their work has had a massive impact on the employee experience at Coke, and the passion they pursue it with is infectious, to say the least. A quick note, following the recording of this episode, the Coca-Cola Company's chairman and CEO James Quincy, rolled out a new purpose and vision that builds on what Kristen and Gareth discussed in their interview. Coca-Cola's new purpose is to refresh the world and make a difference. And once you hear their interview, you'll have no doubt that's exactly what Kristen and Gareth are doing. Gareth and Kristen were interviewed by me, and they were so much fun that I kind of want to get a job at Coca-Cola just so we can all hang out after work. But I won't, because this podcast isn't going to host itself, right? Right. Let's get to it. Kristen, Gareth, welcome to the workplace. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Yeah. Um, So you're both from Coca-Cola. And uh, you're both heavily involved in the uh, recent cultural transformation over the last couple of years at Coca-Cola. But uh, before we dig into that, I'd like to talk about the legacy of Coca-Cola. Um, how has Coca-Cola's culture evolved over the years? And uh, I mean, if, if a Coca-Cola employee from yeah, 1960, 1970 could be transported to now, what would they think? Would they be surprised or would they fit right in? I think you've got to start with what is the business doing now versus what was the business doing back in the 1960s. So if you think that we were <clears throat> in what we would call our second stage of growth, right? So we started pushing one product across the US, single product, single country. It's that first stage of growth. And then the second stage of growth is when you know, during the war, we wanted to put Coca-Cola at an arm's reach of every American serviceman during the war. And so the time that you're talking about is kind of that post-war era where we were going global, mm-hmm. but still really only in the sparkling space. And so if you think about the people and the skills and the style of leadership that's required to deliver that kind of business versus what we're doing today with this enormous portfolio expansion, getting into all these new categories, becoming a leader in stills and juices and water and dairy and all of this stuff 
just what's required to deliver that is very different. And so you can understand why our culture is evolving. I think if you think about the typical employee at that time, if they were male, they probably went to work in a suit. If they were female, they probably were wearing what I would call tights, mm -hmm. hose, I guess you call them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now they would turn up and they would see people in jeans and trainers and T-shirts, including our CEO, potentially in jeans in the office. And so I think there's just a fundamental difference that comes with time. And I think when you then overlay the business context with that, you can understand that it would feel pretty different. But I do think there's a fundamental core that probably hasn't changed that much. Hmm. I still think there's a fundamental passion and a drive that is perpetual. Yeah. I would say regardless of which Coke office you're in, there is a sense of just a strong pride in the brand or the brands that that we own um, and market and we love them. And there's something about also just a high degree of integrity and a striving for excellence that I think has always been a part of our culture. The way that we show up, as Gareth mentioned, I mean, the clothes is one manifestation of that. Our office place looks very different than it did before. You know, okay. you used to have the the large apartment-sized offices and things like that. I mean, that's- The corner that's office. Exactly, and, that, <laughs> and it still exists in some places, but it's largely changed. It's much more open. It's much more about natural light for everyone. Uh, within the office. It's a much more flexible workplace where we've, we're embracing concepts of work anywhere, anytime. You know, it's, it's more results driven. So I think that being able to be you and whatever lifestyle that is associated with you, you can bring that to work. Um, and it's probably always been there as part of our culture, but it's strongly felt and definitely advocated for now in a, in a way that I think it would surprise people um, who were working at the company back in the 1960s, for sure. So let's talk about the most recent changes. It, is it safe to call it an upheaval? Is that too much of a of a overreach? That sounds violent. <laughs> it's not an overthrow or a coup. <laughs> it's not an upheaval, and I would I wouldn't even say it's a revolution, which mm. is some of uh, sometimes we hear that used as well. That I definitely think. sounds violent. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been a rapid evolution. Mm. Um, you know, as Gareth was talking about, there's certain things that are just core to who we are. And as we started to embark on our culture change journey associated with the larger business strategy changes, uh, we wanted to keep things that were special and unique about us. And it wasn't about changing everything about our culture. What we wanted to do was say, are there certain habits that if we all did those things a little bit more, we'd be more likely to be successful individually and when we were working together. And so it was building on, I think, the strengths of our organization and trying to say, how can we rapidly evolve to learn new habits that are going to make us successful moving forward? Would you agree with that? I would. And I would just add, while preserving the really cool stuff that is core to who we are. Right. And I think there's a bit of a, a dilemma there almost in terms of you want to encourage and learn and reinforce and recognize all of the new cool stuff and the, those habits that we want to now start over-indexing on. But that incredible passion that exists for the brands and the incredible um, just general feeling of, like, what is it to work at Coke and what do we all bring and how we all just want this business to be successful. There's some really amazing ingenuity, for example, that happens and some real creativity in the organization. And so I've been with the organization coming up on five years now. One of my very first observations was people talk a lot. Mm. 
<laughs> and there's a lot of creative people in the business. I mean, obviously you think about the brands that we have and the marketing and it's kind of a creative business, but at the same time we've got R&D, manufacturing, all the stuff that you mentioned earlier. Right, it's not pure creativity. You it's get... not pure creativity, but I would say that there is a, a, there's a definite pervasive pervasiveness of creativity in the business and a very chatty nature. Like I've never known people talk so much. So if <laughs> that's you, why I had you on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if, but if you think about that in terms of then we're trying to, to drive these new behaviors, a lot of that chattiness and that creativity got us to where we are today. So you don't want to squash that by introducing four new growth behaviors that are not be chatty and be creative. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what precipitated this, not quite a revolution, but a rapid evolution? Was it, was it just, uh, you know, growth needs or, you know, some incident or yeah, like how did yeah, it no, start? I don't, I don't want to say incident. So I sort of alluded to the, the different stages of growth, right? right? So from 133 years ago when the company was born, right, we spent the first 50, 60 years pushing Coca-Cola out across the US. And then we went global during the war times. And then we started to introduce new products during the 50s and 60s in that sparkling space. And then gradually over time, you come to 2017, think about the way the world has changed in that time. Think about the focus on sugar, obesity. Think about um, just people watching their way and mm. people having different tastes and people traveling the world and finding new things. Right. We couldn't still just be this sparkling beverage company. While that's incredibly important to us and we have to keep growing that category and that part of our business to remain relevant and to remain competitive, we had to really accelerate the growth and the expansion of our portfolio of products. And so that strategy that was introduced under the um, Total Beverage Company banner by our CEO, James Quincy, when he came into the role in 2017, was really the catalyst for a lot of things. And I think what was really important was, you know, James and our senior leadership recognized the need for a cultural evolution to support that new kind of mandate mm. for a new, a new type of growth. And so that's kind of where it all started. And it's, it's brought about lots of things, as you would imagine. You know, you have to change as an organization to focus in different ways. But what was beautiful is that we had the opportunity to think about culture with the support from senior leadership as part of that journey of, you know, business growth and the evolution of the company. Mm. Uh, go ahead. I was going to just say, in addition to expanding our portfolio, there was a real need to move faster, to get products to market much, much faster. Uh, and so if you think about some of the habits of older, more traditional companies in terms of perfecting everything, you know, and which can take six months, nine months, where as a small company can move much faster and get something out, whether it's a new marketing campaign or a new product in a few weeks. And so the competitors um, that we're up against now are not just all large multinational companies. So the way that we need to operate needs to look more like that uh, in order to be able to get things on shelves faster. Uh, how did you go about communicating this shift in workplace culture in, in maybe even in values, to all of the employees. It seems like it's, it would be a, a bigger task than even the largest multimedia marketing campaign that Coke has ever done. I think one of, the, one of the things that I love so much about the way that some of this cultural change was introduced, and especially the, 
I don't it's not even a launch, right? So the release of the these new growth behaviors that we developed as part of this story. Um and Kristen can talk way more about this than I can, but we kind of built a movement around that. And we really enabled people and empower people just to to think about, you know, spreading this movement as part of their day-to-day job rather than it being like, here's this task, you're now a culture champion and you've got to do this on top of your job. It wasn't that. It was like, be part of the story, help us to create it and then help us to spread it, but it's not an extra responsibility. And I think it's one of the best examples I've seen internally of like an an atypical approach to change management. So it wasn't this tsunami, right? It wasn't like this big change management process. It was like way more organic. And actually what what I've observed is like the butterfly effect. You know, Mm -hmm. it's really kind of just spread and come to life. Um, And in particular, because we were never very um, specific or instructional about how that should come to life. It was like, these are the growth behaviors. This is what we kind of think they mean. But we gave people the latitude in terms of how do they want to bring it to life? How are they interpreting it? What does it mean to them in their part of the business? Rather than it being like A, B, C, D from the center, go do it, you know? Yeah. I think another important piece of the work is that the four growth behaviors that we keep talking about, so curious, empowered, inclusive, and version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, which is our fun way of saying iterative. Hmm. This is the way that people told us they wanted to work. Uh, So when we started the process of developing the growth behaviors, we had input from our senior leaders, which was amazing. So we knew we had buy-in there. Uh, And then we looked back at employee survey data, focus group data. We had all of this information we were sitting on from really the previous 10 years. And people were saying that this is the way that they wanted to work, using different words around it. And part of their frustrations that they were experiencing in trying to do things were when we were working in opposite of that. And so I think in many ways, we weren't putting things out there that were misaligned with what was natural, at least to, it wasn't natural necessarily that people were working in that way every day, but it was natural to, I think, the way that they wanted to show up and operate together. So it made it really palatable. Um, The fact that the behaviors were super easy, I mean, curious, it's like you can intuitively get what that means and you can start to have discussions around, well, how does that work for my particular role, which might be different than somebody else's role? So we couldn't be terribly prescriptive about it. it. It shows up differently for different people. And part of the culture that we're trying to reinforce is a place where people are thinking critically, where they have freedom, where they're making decisions for themselves. So it couldn't be a top-down kind of mandate around that. That would be in conflict with the desired culture we were trying to create. So it was very much so a, here we've got a bunch of stuff, a bunch of materials, some cool posters, hang them up if you want, have conversations with your team. Um, And as Garrett said, people said they volunteered to be movement leaders and, and take this on and and just demonstrate and role model these ways of working. We tried to do some storytelling and bringing people together from across the globe. So even if you weren't seeing change within your individual team necessarily, you could hear these examples and moments of inspiration from others and start to spread that. And um, and people, it, we work for a creative companies. So I think it was almost better to not give a ton of information because that said, oh, I can create my own designs and things around this versus I have to just simply plug and play what's been handed to me by corporate. I think the other thing that we did to reinforce it, um, excuse me, was in the recognition space. 
So actually, our global recognition strategy and platform was still relatively young at the time when these growth behaviours were introduced. So previously, you would go into the recognition system and you might be recognising somebody for a leadership behaviour or one of our former values, which kind of went away. So we overnight switched the behaviours that you could choose to recognise people for in the system to these four new growth behaviours. So suddenly it was like, okay, it's there in front of me. I'm choosing. I'm seeing a description the visuals that we created around these things are echoed to me in the recognition system. And now people are receiving e-cards that say, hey, I want to recognize you for being curious and this is what you did to demonstrate your curiosity. And it's in their inbox and it's visual and the words. And it's reinforcing that behavior through the recognition system. What are you doing to prepare the workplace culture for the next growth phase, for the future? Are you already hard at work on that? Or is it more you're trying to you know, deepen the values that you've just sort of moved into? I would say it's definitely a, these, these behaviors are still somewhat new, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is a deepening and reinforcement of what that looks like. And also, as you start to introduce these new, way, new ways of working, you're, you're tripping over the truths of some of the things Uh, that are barriers to those Mm. ways of working. And so sorting those out, like resolving those tensions as we come across them. Um, There's something that's top of mind for me because I sit in our talent development space, uh, and that's around making sure that we're embedding flexibility into the things that we're doing. I think we can't predict what (laughs) the future is going to look like, you know, going out that far. And so how do we just become more flexible and resilient as an organization? and um, have a higher level of attunement to what's happening so we can be able to respond. So if we start to see patterns, and some of it is those truths that I was talking about of tripping over, how do we pay close attention to that and resolve them um, faster? And so I think that's, that's the thing that we can do now um, is, is build in that flexibility. And I would also say that we're thinking a lot more about teams and the role that teams play, um, not just individual achievement. And it's not that we're completely individualistic as an organization. We do a ton of work that involves collaboration. In fact, I don't think you can do anything in the company that's totally independent, but we're trying to be more intentional about how we build and develop teams and reinforce team performance. And so I think as um, as we move forward, that's going to be another big sort of emerging trend we're tackling. Hmm. You kept referring to obstacles. Uh, what obstacles have you... Uh, sidestepped what, what pushback have you have you listened to you know it, it must not have been a perfectly smooth transit it sounds like it was pretty smooth but i'm sure there were some <laughs> some roadblocks i think from a from my observations and also from my own experience i think the 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 more the more difficult of these new behaviors to instill is the 1.0 2.0 3.0 concept this idea of progress over perfection. Mm -hmm. So as Kristen said, you know, you come from 133 years of history of perfect marketing, perfect product, and needing to move much faster, you've got to get to the point where you can say, right, this product has worked in this market. Let's just take it to new markets, see what happens, and then tweak it to local taste as we need to, as opposed to what we may have done in the past is, oh, that worked there. Let's play around with the recipe for 10 years and then see if we can get it perfect for Obsessively this new Obsessively test it, maybe. Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> I'm exaggerating to make the point, but yeah. I think 
and that's in the product space, but even in just in terms of the way we bring our work to bear in HR, you know, we come from a history of, you know, you may have gone through multiple iterations of a proposal before it even got to a senior leader to say, is this a good idea? And we're not in that space anymore. It's like our senior leaders are saying to us, bring it to me when you've got a 1.0. Mm. Help, let me input, let me help you get it to 2.0. Um, but I think that as a, I hate the word mindset and I try not to use it, but I'm going to use it right now. We won't judge you. Yeah, don't. Um, just just that that tape that's playing around around perfection, something that's very difficult to overcome. So I think that's the one I would call out as probably being the, the hardest one. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm just piggybacking on your comment for a minute. It, 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 cre- it requires vulnerability to be able to take something that you know is not perfect and be able to say, hey, help me make it better. Yeah, and not in like an informal, hey, I know Gareth, he's my friend, I can do that with him without a problem, but taking it to that senior leader level and making it a moment of collaboration versus I'm supposed to have a, a expertise in this area and know all of the answers. And so that's just an un- unlearning process. The one that stands out to me is the empowerment piece because we have been traditionally more hierarchical, more bureaucratic. So decisions were shipped up a flagpole. And, and what does that look like that now I own the decision and now I also own the results of that decision, right? Uh, and so it's as much about senior leaders and project owners giving space for people to make decisions and do things as it is about people taking that ownership and are willing to to take on a little bit of personal risk around it and that that's okay. And if you fail, it's not going to be a career killer. Um, and so that I think is, along with the version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, has I think been the one of the harder ones to do. We're really good at curiosity, I think. <laughs> I think that's been an easier one to adopt. And we're naturally and inclu- pretty inclusive in organization too. So it's definitely the speed and the ownership of decisions, the accountability piece that has been more of a challenge for us. What's the last book or article or tweet that you read that stuck with you, that you still think about? The I'm be- thinking the so, power of moments. It's the best book I've ever read in my entire life. And I've given it as a gift to several people since I read it because of the impact that it had on me. So it's by two brothers, Chip and Dan Heath. Um, it took me three or four goes to actually get into it. And then I literally read it cover to cover on a transatlantic flight. Oh, wow. And it changed my life. It changed the way I think about relationships, both personally and professionally. It made me think about life in moments, which is not something that I've ever done before. And as somebody who's an expert in recognition and is trying to create moments in that space, kind of caught me unawares about how much of an impact it had on me. So that was a good one. That was a great one. The last last book I read was Leadership and, Leadership and Self-Deception. Have you guys heard of it? No, I haven't heard of um, it. It's a really good audible too. Like it's four hours long um, if you listen to it on 1.5 speed, but <laughs> it talks a lot about, it's a very simple sort of parable, but it, the point of it is a lot about uh, the way that we do things. So not just about what we do and how you need to be cognizant of, are you leading from in the box or outside of the box? And I won't try to explain it because I'll probably bastardize the concept, but it is one that I recommend. It definitely changed the way that I thought about 
how I interact with people. What technology should we use more? <laughs> You're going to have to answer this. What technology should we use less? You know, I'm question. still on notebooks and pens. So, Gareth, you go first. Yeah, I'm, I try and be fairly digital most of the time. But actually, you know what? Actually, some of my reflections recently from a well-being perspective have been mm. there's a bit too much technology in my life, my own personal life. Um, you know, and I'm a little bit OCD. So anything that allows me to track something gives me a good feeling. But I've started to realize recently that there's just too much of that. And I'm actually having periodic analog breaks now. So I'll do a week or two with no Apple Watch, no MyFitnessPal, no Virgin Pulse, just go fully like 1960s on myself. Disconnected. Yeah. And that's really helpful. And I think that's something that I've learned can be a positive just from a from a well-being perspective. In the workplace, and that applies in the workplace as well, right? But I think in the workplace, there's some really exciting technology um, in the HR space. You know, if we think about, if you think about artificial intelligence and you think about the role that that can play in the world of HR even, I like to think about it um, in a more promising way, which is it's not about necessarily automating jobs and taking work away, but it's about providing insight and providing the opportunity to enhance the employee experience even further, to use data and to use information and to build, you know, these amazing, you know, ways of sort of learning how humans are and then kind of showing things back to them that really enhance the experience. So I think we could do more of that in a much less fearful way hmm than it might be initially perceived when you start talking about AI in the HR space. Yeah. So more AI and more notebooks. <laughs> when Gareth goes on his two-week technology breaks, that's my entire life. Like, I, <laughs> I don't use any tracking devices. Yeah, I'm not. I'm a much more analog person. I'm more of an essentialist around things. And the way I think about it, I think... I'm not going to answer the question with specific technologies. For me, it's more about use more of the technology that helps you achieve what you're trying to achieve from and being very clear about what the, what your intent is around it and use less of those things that are distracting to you and that don't make you feel good. Hmm. Right on. By the way, Kristen, I'm more with you despite the iPad in front of me, I'm definitely a notebook and pen person. Cool. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I'm a stationary lover. Oh, really? Oh, my God, yeah. I had no you should idea. see the new notebook I bought in the airport on the uh, way over. I'd... And quill pens, too. I'm probably too. never going to write in it, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question, guys. Who were your heroes? Oh, my gosh. That's a tough one. Doesn't have to be just one. Is it cheesy to say my parents? No, that's so <laughs> you know sweet. What? That's, that's the first, in my mind. That's as actually well. the first thing that came to my mind is I thought about my mom in that moment. And she's just a person, both of my parents are just people who taught me to be free, to be able to change your life if you don't like it, to be able to say what you think and try to do it in a way that's respectful and loving, to try new things. And if you don't like them, that's okay. Like, you don't have to keep doing them. Um, if you do like it, then go for it. 
And just, I think that level of just independence and free thinking is something that is so core to who I am and that I'm trying to pass along to my son that that is, that's the, obviously I have like hero figures in life, but in terms of that immediate day-to-day role modeling, I go back to Norvell McDonald and Denise Agard. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? Parents comes to mind immediately. Absolutely. Gina Morris. Um, (laughs) For different reasons than what you've described. I mean, I think, you know, my upbringing was, you know, more one where the concept of unconditional love with discipline was really important. And actually, that is definitely part of my life as an adult, 100%. And Batman. (laughs) You mean Bruce Wayne? Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, guys, this has been so much fun. Has it been your most fun? Don't answer that. (laughs) No, answer that. I'm, (laughs) I'm gonna blow your minds. Yes. Yay! Wow! Absolutely. You're going to edit it out, though. <laughs> <laughs> but well, well, I mean, I don't want to make other guests feel bad, but uh, we're well, the first double guests, so maybe we need to do more of that. Guys, thank you so much for thank being you. here. Thank you. This has been yeah. fantastic. It's awesome. Thank you. Cheers. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we take big ideas and put them in a zip-type gas centrifuge and spin them up to 19,000 RPMs, separating out the most fizzle isotopes for use in our doomsday device. The first is that if you want to innovate, focus on progress over perfection. For Coke, that means the ability to quickly develop new products and see how they perform in the real world without obsessively testing it for months. They call it 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, but it's better known as MVP, or Minimum Viable Product, or in some circles, skateboarding. The idea being, it's better to quickly create the simplest expression of a concept, the skateboard, than to spend a ton of time perfecting a more capable but more complicated version, say, a Tesla Cybertruck. Now, rapid development is a little easier when your product is carbonated sugar water instead of, say, global financial services or healthcare. But the principle remains the same. Don't keep your chicks in the nest. Give them a gentle motherly nudge and see how they fly. The second is a word that might make your eyes roll. Empowerment. As in employee empowerment, It's a concept that can ring pretty hollow in the wrong hands. But your hands aren't the wrong hands, are they? Of course not. In fact, let's not even call it empowerment. Let's call it ownership. That feels better, doesn't it? As Kristen reminds us, ownership is about accountability as much as it is about control. So instead of having every decision run through the hierarchical meat grinder, Give individual contributors the autonomy and support to take on both the risks and the rewards, such as the double-edged sword of ownership. Just as important is to make sure senior leaders and project owners give their people the space, respect, and opportunities to make tough decisions 
and own the outcomes. Otherwise, ownership is just another buzzword. And you know what we do to buzzwords. Third is that at the end of the interview, Christian and Gareth turned the tables on me and asked me my own questions. I let them because it's only fair to let them have one after peppering them with questions for the better part of an hour. Maybe we should have left this on the cutting room floor, but in the interest of equality, here's our guests putting me on the spot. Who's your he- who are your heroes? I'm just curious. Oh, my heroes? Oh gosh, I gotta say, um, well, Melissa Arno who was just speaking at this conference. Um, I didn't know a ton about her before learning that she was coming here, but she is amazing. And I would say mountain guides, any mountain guide that's out there slogging, working hard, helping clients hoof it up these mountains. They're the real heroes. I've, I've been on some trips with, with the, with mountain guides and they are, everything I want to be. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. That's it for this episode of The Workplace. If you liked it, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, subscribe to The Workplace on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was written and produced by yours truly, with editing and original music by Daniel Foster Smith, who also composed our theme song. If you have a burning question about workplace culture, or a story about why your workplace culture is the best or worst, send it to theworkplace at octainer.com. The Workplace is sponsored by OC Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. OC Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single, modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, visit octanner.com.